Misa think Jar Jar is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said it. <laughs> um, blackmail people. We got blackmail on TJ now on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> This is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me. I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. Hey, everybody. All right. You ready to get started, Joseph? I really am. There is so much to talk about in so little time. There is a lot to talk about. So we have opening this weekend, Wreck-It Ralph and Flight. And uh, they both look like great movies to me. This is going to be a good weekend. Um, you know, I've been looking forward to Rick and Ralph for most of the year. Even with the teaser trailer, I was just really captured by this comedy. I mean, I th- some people will call it just juvenile, but I think that any of us who are geeks that grew up in the 80s, who know classic video games and can appreciate a little time in an arcade will really appreciate this film. Um, did you ever play much of the Street Fighter 2 game in the arcades or at home on a Super Nintendo or um, a Sega? I, I played it a little bit on, on Nintendo or, or, you know, it must have been maybe the original Street Fighter. I don't know if I played it on Super Nintendo. Uh, yeah. So that may have been the original Street Fighter, but I played it a little bit. I was never really into it. Okay. I just appreciate that the Wreck-It Ralph has all these arcade characters incorporated into the movie, and it's really fleshing them out, because yeah. even if they're comedic and they're not taking their, their characters seriously, for the first time, we're actually going to be able to hear what they sound like and see them unfold in a narrative, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm geeking out about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've got uh, we've got quite a few things about it on Movie Bite. Quite a few videos you can watch. Uh, we've got a a featurette, uh, a retro commercial. Did you see this retro commercial for Sugar Rush? No. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. That that was kind of fun. Uh, Toy Story did some retro things like this with the Lotso hugging bear and and that sort of thing. So I I, I really like that approach. I think that's fun. Um, oh yeah, it, and you know the, another fun thing that they did was the Monsters University website for the upcoming movie. And uh, yeah, but I love those kind of crossover promotions. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost as if they're trying to say, these have always existed. Where have you been? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's that's very f- good marketing to me. So uh, that will be in the show notes, that particular uh, item that we uh, have posted on Movie Byte. And, uh, you know, so Wreck-It Ralph, we're going to be watching that this weekend, and we'll let you know how we felt about it uh, in the next episode of Movie Byte, episode 17. Now, the other movie, Flight, um, I reckon I'd like you to write the written review for Flight, and I'll take care of the written review for Wreck-It Ralph, if you don't mind. But uh, this one looks really cool, too, with Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm I'm a little, uh, like, I'm not quite sure where they're going. Is, is it going to be a, a film about how, e- even though it looks like he saved the day, he shouldn't have been drinking? Or I'm a little worried about where they're, <laughs> where they're going with that. But uh, it does look like it's going to be a great film. I've, I've never actually, should I admit this? Okay, here we go. I've never actually seen a Denzel Washington film before. Yeah, we all know you're a very young person, TJ, new to the world and all that. <laughs> well, it's weird um, because, you know, there are some films that I've seen that you haven't and there's, you know, and others haven't. And, and you know, I don't know, but there's lots of films out there. I'm, I'm trying to defend myself here. Yeah, but it's uh, not working. <laughs> it's not working. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks like a great film. 
Pretty much. If you go to your profile on Rotten Tomatoes, you you have uh, a mention on practically every profile of a movie I go to that says I, uh, TJ wants to see. Oh, I don't know if I'm <laughs> I don't know if I'm keeping that up to date though. I should go check that out. I I there I you know at first when we started a movie, but I thought I need to go update that, and then I didn't. I never did. So uh, Rotten yeah, Tomatoes maybe maybe way out of date on that. Yeah. Joseph, just so you I, know. I, I'm just, I was just kidding. Okay. But the thing. Okay. So the, back to flight though. The thing for me is that and I, I can't say that I've ever seen a Denzel Washington film that was just unworthy of watching. Period. And I'm really, though, excited about this one because I love him in his uh, political, patriotic adventures and, you know, these uh, action films. He always ties in a little bit more than other political thrillers. Like, he deals with things that pertain to morality a little bit more so than just general ethics. Like, when I say morality, I mean, he get, he starts splitting hairs. He gets into the technicalities. Um, for mm. instance, Man on Fire, he deals with a situation where, well, everybody would agree, you got to go beat up the bad guys, rescue the girl. But in his case, he dealt with something that was a, a little bit more dynamic. He, his character has to, um, spoiler alert, um, sacrifice himself uh, to save the girl. And, mm. and so in doing, it, it's a, a very moral message. And Denzel tends to do that. Uh, I appreciate his films, and I, I certainly won't want to miss this one. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, we also uh, posted a trailer for that uh, not too long ago, uh, the 92nd trailer for Flight. Uh, that uh, link will also be in the show notes. Uh, by the way, the show notes are found for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 16. Okay, so next we have the story that Brian Singer is announced to direct the next X-Men movie called X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, now and, Joseph, uh, you... TJ, what do you think of this? Well, I think it's a, I think it's great. You were telling me before the, uh, before the show that you weren't so excited about Brian Singer because of what you consider to be the travesty of the Superman film that he made. And I, I love oh, that film. Absolutely. I, I love that film, and I also love the X-Men films that he did. He directed the first two X-Men films, and then, quite stupidly, in my opinion, uh, the, the studio wanted to get X3 out there. X-Men 3, uh, The Last Stand, I think it was called. I haven't even seen that movie in so long because it's dead to me. It's gone. It, it's stupid. Um, but, but they didn't want to... Brian Singer was uh, tied up making Superman, actually, and uh, was not available uh, in the time frame that the studio had in mind for uh, The Last Stand, and so they brought in Brett Ratner, who just did the worst possible job. I mean, everything about X3, that it, it just I have nothing good to say about that film. It's a horrible film. Um, and you shouldn't have anything good to say about that film. I, I can't think of anyone who regarded it uh, you know, with the other two films before it in consideration. Yeah, and in my opinion, Brian Singer's job with X, X-Men 1 and X-Men 2 those are obviously, in fact, X-Men 2 is the best X-Men film with X, X-Men 1, the first X-Men, uh, I don't think it's actually called X-Men 1, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, it is the second best, and it's almost as good as the first one. I mean, just, they're both really great films. And, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of excited about this because he did a really good job, regardless of what you think about his other movies, Joseph. He did a really good job in the X-Men franchise, and so I'm excited to see what he brings to Days of Future Past because we've had a few X-Men films since the original trilogy. We've had the Wolverine film, which was eh, so-so. I mean, it was enjoyable in some ways. Uh, we had um, 
X-Men First Class, which, eh, you know, again, enjoyable in some ways, not in others. So I'm really, I'm really excited to see what happens with X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, my favorites are the uh, the second one and uh, first class, and uh, with uh, the very first one coming uh, up pretty close to first class to me for me. Okay, but yeah, I, I I thought though Singer does fine as a producer, and he's okay as a director. I I just I don't see him to be a very dynamic director. So he kind of gets repetitive. He kind of uh, loses his pacing. He tries really hard, though. He really does try hard. And with um, Superman Returns, I just felt like he wasn't the right man for the job. Not necessarily that he's a bad director. And uh, so I don't know. I'm optimistic about Days of Future Past. All right. Well, that was X-Men. Let's talk about Mission Impossible. Yeah. Now, okay, you were interested in this one because... It's Tom Cruise coming back to the franchise. Well, you know, he's coming back for another installment. What is it about Tom Cruise you're not too crazy about in this installment? Well, I don't know if I would say I'm not crazy about Tom Cruise. Here, here's here's kind of what and what I said when I posted about this. This uh, this will also be in the show notes. Uh, I posted a link to the Filmophilia article uh, that says that uh, there's definitely going to be a Mission Impossible Five. Tom Cruise wants to make it happen, and. Uh, you know, and I basically said if I were to draw a trend chart of my own personal feelings about each of the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible films, number one would be at the top, and that line would be going down much to a much lower point in the scale for number two, and then slightly back up for number three, and then down again for number four. Maybe not quite as bad as the second one, but so it's been kind of a rough ride, and I just don't know if I'm ready for more roller coaster bumps on on this one. At the same time, I really did enjoy the first film. So, um, yeah, the first film was. Um released in 1996 and uh yeah he was a young whippersnapper then he he was one of the youngest on the mission impossible spy team the thing for me is that i don't mind so much if uh the franchise wants to continue with or or without tom cruise because it's an ongoing you know spy organization yeah and two uh as the other films have demonstrated there are oftentimes older spies they don't have to be the action heroes per se because some of them take the mentor role and the leadership role. They make the, they, they take over command center or they, they're the ones that produce a strategy and then let the younger guys execute the plan. I would like to see Tom Cruise switch gears to that. I mean, I know he probably wants to live forever and, uh, you know, play the action hero. But uh, I think that if they're going to further fr- the franchise and uh if they're gonna uh uh play you know if they're gonna oh what how should i say this if they want to return to those things that we really appreciated about mission impossible one the first film wasn't called that uh, either but uh if they want to return to those things that we really liked about the film then they will allow him to take this leadership coaching role and uh get some younger talents in to play the action heroes yeah yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't think I disagree with that. I, I just, you know, I'm just not sure that the Mission Impossible franchise really deserves more films. But uh, it's an episodic thing, and if they if they can't get back on their own footing again, then I'd have to agree with you. Brad Bird did a noble job, and uh, I want to talk about Brad Bird again a little bit later on in the show. But um, as it man, it just pertains to these films. It's like the original television show was very popular, but it wasn't, in all honesty, ground you know groundbreaking or no. amazing. And then the first film was a super hit, and justly so. And they just haven't gotten back on target since the first film. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, yeah, they really haven't gotten back on target. Okay, well, I think that's that. Now, the next piece in the news is Argo. It topped the box office yet again. And it even beat Cloud Atlas, which is, well, the big release of the weekend. Yeah, and, and frankly, uh, we'll get to At- Cloud Atlas in a moment. But, uh, yeah, I think Argo deserves to, to beat it over Cloud Atlas for sure. Uh, you know, like it, uh, I think it was the director or maybe it was the producer um, I guess that was one and the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, like he was saying, this is the kind of film that uh, with a little bit of the audience to share the news that this film was really good with their friends and family, this film is going to continue to do fairly well. Um, the marketing did okay, you know, to get a, you know, a small audience in for the first week. And I think that those people just have a dominoes effect going on. They're telling their friends and family, hey, this is a must see. So yeah, and all uh, the more power to them. And we, Joseph, we talked about uh, Argo. Well, you were off playing around on jury duty or something like that. Uh, me and Clark Douglas, we talked about it, and I'll put that link in the show notes. So look, go listen to that podcast if you didn't catch it, and if you're interested in hearing what we had to say about Argo. But uh, yeah, totally deserves to be number one in my opinion. It, it's the best film in the box office at the moment. Hmm. All right, so we got some other exciting news for our Movie Byte audience, don't we? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this. Uh, last weekend, I launched a new show called The Wrap. Uh, and, uh, you know, this this is something that uh, I, I've been talking to you about, Joseph, a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Uh, what we wanted to do is to launch a much shorter show uh, that doesn't replace this show by any means uh it's just a shorter show if you want to tune in we're we're going to keep it less than 10 minutes every week and we're going to recap the highlights of of the week the things that we felt like were noteworthy and then the you know the most fun things and we'll do that in a you know pretty cohesive and quick format so that you can kind of get a recap of the week and it'll be much more listenable in that way yeah, a lot of the listeners have expressed interest in a uh, quick sound off about the ta- you know the latest news re- results and films and what have you, and uh, this is going to be it, folks. So if you care to just get the the beef at the end of the week, it's a wrap. It's that's what it is. We're going to do exactly what TJ said, and uh, our goal is, like you said, what to keep it under ten minutes every episode. That's right. Every every episode will be ten minutes or less. Like this this previous episode was about seven minutes. The first episode. No- now, the reason I think, though, the rap is so cool is that we make our podcasts on the website very helpful to the listeners because in addition to getting the audio content and uh, hearing what we have to say about the movie news, you get the show notes where we have listed off the uh, relevant links and what we have to say. As you know, uh, So if you want to catch some written review or uh, get further details about any particular piece of movie news, you just uh, heard about it on the wrap, then you can look at the show notes on the website along with that episode, and you can quickly jump to the other topics of interest to you. Yeah, that's right. It, and, and the show notes are formatted just exactly like this show, of course. Uh, the C, it's using the same template in the CMS and everything. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and you know what I like about... Uh, you know, depending on what podcast client you use, those links are right in your podcast client. If you subscribe to it, uh, you know, in a podcast client like Instacast on the iPhone or something like that, the most most podcast clients know how to pull those show notes right into the client. And so, oh, as you're listening, I you didn't can, know that. Yeah, yeah, as you're listening, you can just click the link and see what it's all about. So that's the idea with the wrap. Um, I'm really, you know, what I'm really excited about this show, Joseph, is the artwork. 
you designed the artwork for Movie Byte, and you've designed a lot of the artwork for the for the website, and uh, you've done a great job. But I actually got my hands a little bit dirty and went in and designed the artwork for the show. And <laughs> if I do say so myself, I think it looks uh, pretty good. A virtual pat on the back there for you, TJ. Yes, thank That's you, right. thank you. Uh, I'm 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 pretty happy with it. So. Uh, Anyway, uh, that's the wrap, and uh, you know uh, we'll have links to it in the show notes and to the to it in iTunes as well. And if you listen to it and you like it, we'd ask that you'd uh, rate it and uh, help other people discover it that way. Um, and uh, speaking about all things uh, Movie Byte announcements wise, again, we have uh, another very very cool thing that we wanted to share with everybody, and we thought we would announce it with this podcast. Um, the news is that MovieByte is trying to grow, and that is why we cover movie news on the website in addition to the podcast and the rap in addition to this podcast as well. It all got started with the MovieByte podcast. This is the main staple. This is where you get the meat and potatoes as it pertains to our discussion about movie news and films. So we wanted to supplement uh, the interests of our listeners in one more awesome way. And that is that we really care about uh, spreading the movie love with good entertainment, with also uh, easy access to good entertainment and good technology to watch it on. And so, so what we're doing is we're running another contest. We, as you you recall, TJ, we did the one for the Avengers movie on Blu-ray. Yep. And uh, we were really psyched to do something as um, straightforward as that, but it was a good success. And we just want to further the love with more contests, so and more giveaways. Yeah, and I'm excited about this one uh, because we're going to be giving away something that's quite a bit more expensive than the Avengers on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really excited that we can do this in the first place. Our uh, our big sponsor is Liberty Alliance, where I am employed full-time. And uh, what they are going to do for us is they're pulling some strings together, and we are going to be giving away a huge, well, when I say huge, I mean very substantial, HD television, as well as a year subscription to Netflix to one of our listeners of the podcast and readers of our website. And the way that you join this contest, the way that you get entered, is that you just have to have to subscribe to the weekly insider newsletter of moviebyte.com. And you can get to that on the uh, side column on uh, MovieByte's website. Just uh, fill in your name and your address, and there you go. And uh, we should probably talk a little bit about the newsletter itself, because um, that's something that we show a lot of TLC. What do you think about the what? How how would you describe the newsletter? Well, the newsletter really consists of two parts. Uh, the top section of each newsletter will contain a link to some some of the highlights uh, since the last newsletter of the things that we're doing on Movie Byte, whether it's a podcast or an article or a review or a linked list item, things that that we think are highlights. Uh, similar in that way, I suppose, to the wrap. Uh, although we're going to be even probably more selective in the newsletter. Um, and then on the in the lower par- portion, excuse me, in the lower portion of the newsletter, uh, then we'll have a personal message from me or you, or you know something like that. You know, just you know, kind of talking about some things, and we may even have a few you know things that are exclusive just to the newsletter that that we wouldn't share anywhere else. So. Uh, personally, I really love designing newsletters and um, and you know, not just designing them, also executing them, being the editor of them. And uh, I really enjoy the captive audience we have with our uh, subscribers to give them something original in the editorial. Um, so, you know, uh, you catch a lot of the movie news and discussion with the comments on moviebyte.com. And if you really like what's going on there, then you'll just get a little bit more 
uh, of an exclusive with the newsletter. And, uh, and now, uh, to boot, if you do sign up for the newsletter, then you can also be entered into this contest. Yeah. So all the more power to us. And, and Joseph, <laughs> you mentioned uh, signing up in the sidebar. And, and yes, that will be one way you can enter. Any, any way that you sign up uh, for that newsletter enters you into the contest. But we're going to have a special page. Uh, and the intention here is to launch this tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday. So by the time you're listening to this, we'll release this podcast on Thursday. Uh, by the time you listen to this... We're hoping to have this ready to go. If not, it'll be ready to go very shortly. Um, but so we're, it will be, when, when the page goes live, it will be moviebyte.com slash giveaway, all one word. And that will be where you can, uh, you can sign up and find out more details there and find out even other ways to enter besides just the newsletter. Because uh, there will be a few other ways that you can get your name entered more than once. Yes, and we'll be running the contest uh, to make it fair for 30 days, so you'll have plenty of chances to uh, sign up, uh, get into the contest. Yeah, and, and there will be more, de- we're going to stop talking about this because we don't want to belabor it, but there will be more details and things that you can find out on that special page, and we'll get that going very soon. We're really excited about this, and thanks to Liberty Alliance for making this possible. Okay, so before our uh, huge <laughs> piece of uh, a bombshell of a piece of news hit the the entertainment industry yesterday, huh. pertaining to Star Wars and Lucasfilm and all those other things that I'm sure everyone around the world knows about now. I, I didn't see anybody talking about that except for the whole of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Twitter is like, oh, dude, taken over by uh yeah galaxy far far away but now before that previous you know oh before that we had originally scheduled to talk about cloud atlas on this episode and uh we both watched it and we both have a lot of thoughts about it but we're going to downsize this review give you the nuts and bolts here and uh, then if you want greater details you can read tj's review at moviebyte.com because we really want to talk about the uh the biggest news of the year so uh, TJ, let's run with this. Cloud Atlas. Yeah, let's do it. What do, pe- what do people got to know so we can move on with our discussion? <laughs> um, Cloud Atlas is the worst movie I've seen in my entire life, and don't bother watching it. That's my opinion. You have a different opinion, but that's my opinion. Okay, well, here's the thing. Uh, Cloud Atlas looked very intriguing by its trailer, very poss- possibly confusing. And so uh, when I learned that it was um, made by the Wachowski brothers, I wanted to know more. And I learned it was based on a novel, and that sounded interesting. I was kind of like, oh, okay, so this, is, uh, this isn't just another uh, completely original creation like The Matrix. Going into the film, I expected it to take some inspiration from those things that matter to the Wachowski brothers most, their worldview, the, the way they love to tell epic stories. And much to, uh, to my disappointment, it was more akin to their last film than the likes of the, the Matrix trilogy. And uh, it was, yeah, it was just it was a disappointment. I don't hate it like you do, but I I was disappointed. Yeah, definitely. It's not it's not something you got to catch in theaters for sure. And I I would just say if if you really got to see it because you're curious, then go ahead. But it's it's nothing amazing, and it'll it's sure to disappoint most people. Now I have a few things I want to say, but before we do that, uh, we should talk a little bit about just the uh, the statistics or whatever. Um, it was it, it came out in theaters on October the 26th um, with a budget of uh, this is I mean just a huge inflated budget for what it is 100 million dollars. 
There is no excuse for that, to be honest. I don't care if it was a better film. Even if you were making a better film or if if we liked it better, there's no excuse for that big of a budget for this film. There just wasn't enough scale of that film to to warrant that much budget. I, I just don't get it. Like, uh, man, where they, they must have edited out like half of the movie right, to work. Where did they kind of spend budget? that money at? I don't get it. I mean, I, I guess because they had so much talent, maybe all, most of the budget went to the talent because they did have some very big name actors in here. You know, Halle Berry, Tom Hanks. Um, help me out here. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Grant. Um, yeah, Hugh Grant, Hugo Weaving. So I'm, I'm guessing a lot of this budget went to these actors, but even so, that's a huge amount of budget for for what appeared on the screen. There were there were visual effect shots, and I think practically every scene, <laughs> which is uh, another disappointment. Just that so much of much of it was dependent on digital and uh, artifice, and it showed yeah. a little bit. I mean, like it, the the effects were top notch, but you you just can't always sell um, one visual effect after the next, after the next, after the next. It cheapens the overall appeal of a of a. Uh, uh, nuance and believability the drama and uh yeah just uh it was an epic fail agreed there you go. it was epic it was an epic fail <laughs> that's absolutely right now um so far the we don't have any stats on any worldwide stats for some reason on box office mojo right now but domestically it's only made 10 million dollars so i don't think i don't think they're going to come anywhere close to making their budget back yeah i i agree this this is going to die pretty quick yep and uh you know, I've seen some pretty mixed uh, reviews of this film, and and I I was looking like after I got done watching the film, I was like, can, how how can my opinion be so bad of this film? And I I went around, and, and it appears to be a very polarizing film. And I started looking up some reviews, and you, they you know people either loved it or hated it. It was just you're like one of the few people I know, Joseph, who are in between on this film. Yeah, I'd, I'd like if I had to give it a star rating, I'd give it like two and a half out of five because there was so much of it that was a disappointment and so much of it that I could understand what they were trying to accomplish and I thought it was halfway decent. Now, audiences gave it a 77 percentile at Rotten Tomatoes and generally speaking, critics are giving it a 63. But I think that both of those groups are just extremely forgiving. I think I, so. I don't, I don't really understand what they see in the film because it was so difficult to follow and I, I want to move on, but there's just one more thing I have to say that very, dis, uh, very specifically disappoints me. If I, if I want a big epic and I want something super entertaining and it deserves to be three hours long, I want to be able to like one of the good guys and follow his story from beginning to end. I want to be able to root for him. Unfortunately, um, in a very unexpected um, sort of expe- uh, experimental situation, this film deals a lot with reincarnation. So these people come together in multiple lifetimes to fill out completely different stories. What bothers me is that in some of these stories, characters were good guys, and in others, they were bad guys. And it wasn't always consistent. It wasn't like they were always becoming better, better good guys or worse, worse villains. Sometimes they were the good, and sometimes they were the bad, and it would flip-flop depending on their, their lifetime. So you never really appreciated the characters consistently across the board. Yeah, and and I just wrestled with this fact that, you know, well, sometimes they're losers and sometimes they're good guys. I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get into that. Too complicated. Yeah, and, you know, I, um, 
I found even more so than you and, and many probably the whole reincarnation thing was kind of lost on me. Like I expected it to be about that, but then I, I guess that's what threw me was the difference of the characters from one lifetime to the next. That I thought, well, are they saying that these are the reincarnated characters or not? I couldn't quite understand or grasp what they were saying. Regardless of how you feel about reincarnation, I at least think that if you need to understand that, if that's a major plot point, and it failed to uh, enlighten me. I, I failed to understand what was what what they were trying to say, and you're right. You know the the explanation that I've heard them give is, or or that I I don't remember if it was the the directors, the Wachowskis, and uh, I don't what, what's the other guy, uh, Tom something. Well, right? Andy Wachowski, Tom Tickwear. Tyquer, however you say that. Tyquer? Anyway, so I, I, I don't remember if it was them or somebody else that I saw, but their explanation was, well, there's a soul journey here, and you, you have some people who start off as bad guys, and over the course of their reincarnated lives, they become good guys. But that's not even true. Like, think about the character, the different characters that Tom Hanks played. He starts out as this doctor who's poisoning a guy in the first story, and then... Let's see, what was he? Was he in the second story? I don't remember. In the third story, he was like, uh, he was working at a nuclear power plant and he was supposed to be more of a good guy who was doing the right thing and, le- and, and then he got blown up on the airplane. But then he was a bad guy again when he was working for the, or when he was uh, trying to get his book publisher to give him money or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm completely butchering the storyline, but, y- you know, people who've seen the film will understand what I'm saying. And then, and then he's a good, you know, he's like a conflicted character in the future, but he turns out to be the good guy and the, the main protagonist of the the point of the story is that these three people get saved at the you know and taken to this off-world colony right i mean the whole the whole thing is just a completely messed up mess and it's so it's so ineptly edited that it that it just feels like you're bouncing back and forth between these stories with no rhyme or reason of any kind well the editing suggests that all these stories are coinciding taking place at the same time and they're not <laughs> right, and 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 I can I I don't have a problem particularly or necessarily with nonlinear storytelling, but I feel like there needs to be something motivating the editing. Like we find out something in the past, and then we can cut to the future and see how that affects it, or something. Something needs to tie it together <laughs> into a cohesive whole, and instead we just bounce back and forth and completely ignoring narrative. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, there was no narrative to- thread. Two, two fine examples of a connection between sub-stories would be, well, the one example is a television show, Lost, where the past, the future, the present, and everybody's relationships to each other are so well intertwined. It's so apparent that knowing the backstories, the future, the present, and how everybody knows each other it, it matter. They do matter. And then another example of this from a romantic comedy it's the the british film love actually and in that film you know i'm not i'm not putting it up on the same level with lost here but i'm saying (laughs) that one thing i really liked about that film was that with all these sub stories uh you don't immediately understand why they're telling you so many stories but then as the film develops you realize oh this person has something to do with these other characters in another story and vice versa and and when it, by the time you get to the end of the film, you see how the, they're all connected. And it, as it pertains to the theme of the film, it's it's very complimentary. It's very fun, and I appreciate it. It, it adds gravitas. This film, no. <laughs> by having these six stories put together, they really don't support each other. 
Yeah, you know, and, and a couple other great examples of nonlinear storytelling that work, uh, both J.J. Abrams' examples, again, like Lost, um, you've got uh, Alcatraz, which when you're cutting between the scenes that happened uh, back in the day, I believe it was the 60s, please don't please don't uh, shoot me if I'm wrong on my dates, I don't know the history of when Alcatraz was actually present. I think that was the 60s, right? And so back in the 60s, and you see something that happened, and then you come back to the present, and it has relevancy for what's going on in the present. And, and so the nonlinear storytelling makes sense. And you see this also in the new TV show, revolution where we go back and we see something that happened right after the blackout and then we we're back in the in the current day which is 15 years in our future and we see uh something happening that relates to that there was none of that in cloud atlas and the connections were so very thin between between the stories that sometimes it's like so what so what about that (laughs) who cares um now I did I did write a review and you know if you want more details of, of uh, how I feel about this film um, that'll be in the show notes. Joseph, if you had to sum up my review, how would you sum it up? Uh, hmm, that it's a nonsensical movie and just don't watch it because you don't want to waste your three hours. I was looking for you to say scathing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, your review is scathing. Thank you. That Thank is you. For sure. Yeah, it's a good read. And I, I, I think that I, I, although I don't hold to the same opinion, it's a valid standpoint. Yeah. Uh, do you know what my favorite, uh, I, within, within a review, I'll have different headlines throughout the review. You know what my favorite headline in this review is? Oh, yeah. You go, yeah, yeah. You go ahead and tell them. <laughs> Monkeys with typewriters. <laughs> yes. I, I have to agree that that's what it felt like at times. Yeah. And my favorite paragraph follows that, uh, that headline too. So, uh. You said about the, although you, I wasn't sure whether this was a compliment or not, something about me turning into a film critic. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, I'll just read the paragraph so no, that it, people... it's not a comment, it's not a comment, but go ahead. Not a compliment, you mean? <laughs> Sorry, it is not a compliment, yes. Uh, well, I like the paragraph. Story, <laughs> story is a tool, such as a very sharp axe. In the right hands, a story can be a very effective tool. Much like an axe, it can be put to any number of useful tasks, but put an axe in the wrong hands or wield it in the wrong way, and it can be really dangerous. In the case of Cloud Atlas, I feel as though the filmmakers took a very sharp axe, turned it around to use the blunt side, and bludgeoned me over the head for three hours. Three days later, the dull ache in my head still remains. (laughs) I was pretty proud of that paragraph. (laughs) Well, yes, uh, kudos to your good writing style. That that, that was true. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, You you painted a mental picture for me. I shall never forget. (laughs) I'll quit tooting my own horn now. Uh, (laughs) Do we have anything else to say about this film? It was horrible. Just terrible. Well, um, maybe one more other deflating piece of um, information for those out there that got to know. The one thing that I was really hoping to find out was what is the Cloud Atlas itself? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it must it must be important. It must be relevant. It must be keys. All their six stories coming together in some epic, oh, so almost supernatural way. And no, it's not. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert. The Cloud Atlas is a piece of music written by one gentleman in the 1930s or so. And yeah. uh, he liked it. He called it his, you know, magnum opus or something like that. And said, you know, this is a big deal. This is this is the best work of my life. And then in the next life, a few other characters happen to hear this same piece of music and they say to themselves, my goodness, that's an 
and oh, that's a wonderful piece of music. I it seems to me that I I just I've heard that music before. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. it. That's, that's it. That's the only point to the Cloud Atlas. That is the name of the song and that is it. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, I did have one other thing. I mentioned this in my article. Um but the whole suicide thing of Robert Frobisher, uh, who was the composer who wrote the Cloud Atlas. To me, this is possibly one of the more heinous parts of the film because it, it has to do. I mean, it's it's like this whole nobility of suicide thing. And I, for one, okay, my first problem was I didn't feel like the suicide was very motivated. Sure, I mean, you know, he spent his life writing this thing and he had trouble and all this, but I didn't feel like he was actually a motivated character to commit suicide. And two, what are we saying about suicide? He's like, I have, you, you know, I can't remember his exact words, but basically he had every confidence that it was not the end and therefore suicide was okay. It's yeah. just crazy, craziness. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily want to go there. Uh, I, I concede your point, but I don't necessarily agree. Okay. Well, you kind of intrigued uh, our curiosity there, though. Uh, okay. Well, okay. Uh, my thing about the suicide is that uh, I don't think it was the um, the best example or uh, the best uh, situation to warrant such a, uh, such a call for a suicide. So maybe it was just um, a poor execution of something that had deeper meaning in the book. But I don't know. It, it, it seems like a very selfish act. And it is, it is depressing. Um, at the same time, it, it is one of the greatest tragedies in the film. And I don't know. It just seems, I, I will agree with you that it is tasteless. It didn't, it didn't add a lot of merit to the film. Exactly. Tasteless may be a really great way to put that. Like in the end of th- all things, I had to explain it to one other friend here, and I was telling him you know, a summation of my opinion. And I think that it could be said that the film takes itself very seriously. And the film is it's, it's in a sense saying, look, this is how you can see this film relates to real life. And isn't that an awesome thing? And I would say to them, uh, I understand what you're trying to say, and I just don't like it. <laughs> I just don't like what you're saying about life and how it relates to life, and I don't necessarily agree that those things are true. Yeah. It sounds like poetry, or pros- it's very prosaic, it's very literary, and it's just something I cannot relate to and I don't appreciate. <laughs> like good old-fashioned poetry from school days, it is, oh wow. So it doesn't sound like you're too far away from my opinion. Um, like I said, two and a half stars. Okay. All right. So that's Cloud Atlas, and I I really don't want to talk about this film anymore. Signed, sealed, and delivered. We yeah. have got to move on to the best topic of the year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the best topic of the year, but but it is news for sure. I mean, it's big. It's huge. Like, I, did you, who saw this coming? I mean, they kept it under wraps, man. I I hadn't heard a word about this, and and I was even like, before I posted on Movie Byte yesterday, I'm like looking around, making sure that because I I didn't see it. I linked to the actual uh, release on the Disney website, and I didn't see it there first. And so I'm looking around, trying to verify: is this even true? Is this like a prank? What is this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. After I heard it, uh, I'd been shaking my head ever since. Uh, the first person who told me this, I knew them to be. Uh, not pr- uh, a prankster 
you know, and I was like, no, you cannot be telling me this. This isn't true. I thought, surely this person has been mistaken, has been duped by some website like The Onion or something. Exactly. All right. And for, <laughs> and for our listeners, what are we talking about? Well, if you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard this yet, Disney. There are a few people who do, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Disney bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion. Okay. Okay. First of all, just, just. Disney bought Lucasfilm. Let that sink in for a second. If people need to know what Lucasfilm is, it is the film company that George Lucas has used for the last 30-some-odd years to produce special effects, special sound technology, uh, make, make motion pictures with, and to produce, in large part, his Star Wars films. Exactly. Well, and, and, and you know, there, there is more to it than that. Like, uh, ILM is a division of Lucasfilm. ILM does special effects for everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and ILM is Industrial Light and Magic. Right. And, uh, you know, Disney has said... Skywalker Sound, THX. Yes. Uh, there's all the uh, computer um, and video game software companies under the umbrella here. So much more. And uh, Disney has said, in terms of ILM, I mean, to me, once I... I didn't even think about that at first, but after I thought about it, I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of big, because they're a big player in, in, the, uh, in the effects industry, right? I mean... Yeah. You know, when, 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 you know, big movies have effects done by Industrial Light and Magic. And so Disney has said, now this is what they've said, we'll see how this plays out, that they intend to keep ILM open as a shop for anybody to come to to get stuff work done. And, and you know, that we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, but the, let's not get sidetracked by the business side of things, uh, although I do want to talk about that a little bit here. Um, the reason why this matters really to everyday moviegoers, uh, people in the audience like you and I, is that, oh, oh no, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Dare we, dare we say this? This is, uh, I, it, I don't it, know whether I'm I, supposed to run in, in fear or, or be excited. If I, if I say it, then it becomes true. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay. The reason that this matters is that Star Wars is getting a whole new trilogy that follows up on the original trilogy with Luke, Leia, and Han. Are we sure about so, that? So Disney has announced an episode seven and that we can expect there to be a complete trilogy that includes episode seven. And then that will, that indefin- on an indefinite basis, Disney intends there to be another Star Wars film every two to three years. That spells doom to me. <laughs> Okay, episode seven. That means that it, it it is in the timeline of things. It follows Return of the, of the Jedi. Oh, you're right. I hadn't. I was because I was thinking. Are we sure that it follows up on that? But now that you say that, that that's kind of the idea, right? With episode yes, seven episode, following episode yes. six. Six is Return of the Jedi. Now, I Joseph, my my theory here. And, and again, you know, a lot of people are saying, a lot of the diehard, you know, Star Wars fans that read all the novels, and, and I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan of the original trilogy, I don't like the novels. I don't know how you feel about it. My wife loves the novels, she's into the novels, the, pre, the, the pre-prequel novels, but, um, so, so, the stuff that follows up on the original trilogy, she's into that, and especially Timothy Zahn and, and all those people. And so, a lot of people are, are going, well, we want to see the Timothy Zahn era novels uh, turned into these films. You know, we want to see Admiral is Admiral Thrawn and uh, mm-hmm. Mara Jade and all these characters. We want to see them on the screen. And I have a feeling that's where they're going. But I I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that because you know what that means. You're gonna have to recast 
Luke and Leia and Han, and who wants that? I don't want that. Do you want that? No, no, I, I no, I really, I don't. Um, I would hope that perhaps that they could take Timothy Zahn's um, trilogy and create a new version of it that's adapted to film that would uh, still incorporate the original cast, only older. Exactly. I, I just don't see how it's going to work. To be uh, because it, it's heavily dependent on characters like Luke Skywalker being young enough and spry enough to wield the <laughs> lightsaber around, and I just have a hard time seeing Mark Hamill return to do that. Well, here, here's what I propose, uh, and I, I propose this in a linked item on on uh, Movie Bite, which I'll include in the show notes. But here, here's what I proposed. Um, and I said, I said, look, I'm just spitballing here, but, uh, and I know the treatments have already been written. The treatment has already been written for these. So this is probably already set in stone. But what I want to see is go ahead and go 30 years into the future because this has been about 30 years, right? Since Return of the Jedi. So go ahead and go 30 years into the future so that we have a reason to see the original cast of characters as older, but introduce us to new characters. Like, let it be a handoff. I would be okay with that, but I, I feel like that's not where they're going. Because the, yeah. all the rage right now, just think of the new Star Trek film, uh, the one from 2009, directed by J.J. Abrams. They recast all the original characters, and we had a token send-off from the original uh, Spock, Leonard Nimoy, uh, who came back from the future, and then that was our token character. And, and now we've got recast all the original characters. And, I, you know, I just, uh, I don't want to see that. I don't want that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just befuddled because there are so many ways that this could go right or it could go very wrong. And the fear factor is that somehow George Lucas still ha- plays as a very key role in the development of the further films. And because of that, it's like the worst things about Disney coupled to the worst things about George Lucas. <laughs> exactly, yes. So so that's the fear factor, right? It's it's double the worseness. Like some somebody I know he was saying, well, it can't get worse than the prequels. And I said, actually, uh, it can. Yeah, it, it can. can. Yeah, it can. You're, you're, you're missing the point that, that Disney now owns this property, and it's up to Disney to make these films. So you understand that at the beginning of the film, when you go to see it in the theater, the first thing you're going to see is uh, the big starry night scene with the violins sweetly playing if you wish upon a star and the camera panning down to the castle and and tinkerbell flying in with her magic wand to make this just oh so magical and it says at the bottom oh walt disney pictures production in order to make this i I feel very strongly in order to make these films work at all they have to redo that logo somehow. Like, if they just maybe fade up on it and fade out. But no, none of this Disney magic music. That is not a Star Wars film. Uh, uh, just as a fan in general of the Star Wars movies and their execution, I'm seriously going to miss out on John Williams' 20th Century Fox fanfare at the beginning. Yeah, that's a really big th- I mean, I know this sounds really geeky and nerdy, but I've seen a lot of other people say it too. How do you have a Star Wars film that doesn't have the 20th Century Fox fanfare at the beginning? Like, I don't care what movie I'm watching. When I hear that fanfare, my mind kicks into Star Wars gear, and I hear the Star Wars music playing after that in my head. What's unique about the 20th century fanfare that we're we're talking about was that it was written for the very first Star Wars film. 
by John Williams to go along with the rest of the soundtrack. And it fit as though it were key to that first film in such a way. It, it just It's hard to explain. Now, I know that 20th Century has gone on and used that piece of music time and again. But somehow, whenever I hear it, it instantly tells me, okay, drop everything that you're doing and focus on the TV because you're about to watch Star Wars. <laughs> That's just what it does for me. And now, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's just not going to ever be the same again. Um, so uh, so here's a few other things I thought that we should discuss about this film. We got, we got to congeal this. We got to ask ourselves, what is going on here? Um, what really concerns us? What are we excited about? Um, I guess, first off, what do you think about the fact that well, George, the fate of Star Wars as a whole has been taken out of George Lucas's hands. This is a what? very, very good thing. Because um, <sighs> here's the deal. You think about, okay, the original trilogy. The first film, George Lucas directed that film. Am I right? I'm making sure I'm right on that. He um, did. He, he wrote the script. He edited it with his wife. And uh, he had a lot to do with its making. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he put some of his own money into it. But I'm, I am 99% sure that it was mainly produced by 20th Century Fox because... Right. Well, they own, they, the, they own that film. The, the first film, they own that in perpetuity. But I don't want to get off where I'm, exactly. where I'm going with this. Um, so he did the first film. Guess what? Not that great of a film. I, I okay. A lot of Star Wars nerds. There's a lot of debate about this, and and I was even listening to an episode, an old episode of The Incomparable, not too long ago, where they were debating which Star Wars is better, um, you know, the first one or The Empire Strikes Back. The first Star Wars film, frankly, it it you could see the potential. There was a lot there, but not that well executed. Not not a great film. Now, now some sure it had groundbreaking special effects. I'm not denying that, but I'm talking about in the telling of the story. All right. So, but but then then comes along Irvin Kershner's Empire Strikes Back, the best Star Wars film without a doubt in my opinion. Uh, great film. And 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 again, Irvin Kershner directed this. George Lucas didn't even write the script for this film. This is probably the the film that George Lucas actually had the least to do with. Is is the Empire Strikes Back? Now he he wrote the story treatment, I believe, and he had the concept, but somebody else yeah. wrote the script, and Irvin Kershner directed the the film, and that was a great film. And so then you have Return of the Jedi, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that George Lucas wrote the script for Return of the Jedi. I uh, I am a huge Star Wars fan. Sorry though, I do not know. Okay, I'm looking it up right now. But that being the case, I believe that is what what uh what happened is he wrote the script for return of the jedi uh huh well anyway so director richard uh, richard marquand and writers lawrence keston and uh others george lucas george lucas part of the cast screen- as well george lucas on is, is credited on the screenplay yeah yeah credit, and that yeah. that 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 uh gels with what i've heard is that he he co-wrote the screenplay but but he had yeah. a lot to do with it and we were already starting to see, even there, signs of where he, George Lucas was going to take the franchise and where it was going to run off the rails. I mean, Ewoks, hello. <laughs> and so we, we can see where George Lucas was taking this franchise and where it was going to run off the rails. The, the, the warning signs were there. Um, 
And so then, uh, just la- ladies and gentlemen, I, I gotta say it now. I sorely disagree with TJ. Uh, this tr- original trilogy is phenomenal, and the first film was utterly amazing. <laughs> I don't understand why TJ doesn't understand this. <laughs> I'm not. You gotta. You gotta understand something, though. I'm. I'm not alone in my opinion. Though I formed this opinion on my own, there are many, many, many Star Wars geeks who are with me on this. Uh, yeah, I agree. Okay, I agree. so just, just so and many you, of them, you make it sound like I'm alone in my opinion here. No, I, I just I, I do know that there is a tendency among uh, Star Trek fans, avid Star Trek fans, to um, polarize uh, when it, when they move over to the Star Wars trilogy. They they look at things like, hey, Star Destroyers, they couldn't possibly make light speed. They'd blow up to pieces. No, I don't. Chef, you know, I don't care about that. Go to that. And, I don't care about that kind of stuff. Are you sure? I'm sure. I don't care. I could care less. Um, okay. But what I do care about is the story. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that the original Star Wars wasn't a good film. It just wasn't anywhere near to the level of The Empire Strikes Back. And well, oh, yes. Absolutely agree with you there. It, it, I watched the original Star Wars film, and I watched Return of the Jedi, too, though it is the low point of the original trilogy. Uh, I would say the first two Star Wars films were better than Return of the Jedi. Uh, and I think there were a lot of warning signs in Return of the Jedi, you know Ewoks especially I mean just like what is this Lucas so you know originally as he had it intended um, they were going to go to the Wookiee planet uh huh rather than I've heard uh, that the yeah. Wookie, yeah so, so alright so I'm now now we're moving into the prequel universe and George Lucas just completely took this thing off the rails with Phantom Menace I mean just I don't know that Many people would argue with me. Maybe you would uh, from some of the comments you made earlier uh, on on Movie Byte on that article. But Phantom Menace was a train wreck, just a horrible film. And well, let me explain that. Um, something that uh, George Lucas had ex- had said publicly when the Phantom Menace was released was that he was trying to show a progression in the three prequels, where um, the the film style. The, the 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 mystique of the film itself on so many levels was supposed to be very different in the phantom menace that he was trying to depict a different kind of story and um what his reasoning was was that it's a, a maturing process that with the phantom menace it was going to seem very juvenile but intentionally so it was a different age for the empire not existing that it was under the old republic that many of the characters were much younger. And although I never really appreciated the fact that Lucas was toying with how the story should be told in the first place like that, he I understood that what he was saying was, you know, uh, stick with me, people. You know, I, I understand that this movie is a departure from the story and its vibe, the nuance, the maturity level, the, uh, the seriousness and the level you appreciate of the original trilogy. But we'll get there because with part two, it's going to get more serious. And it's going to feel a little bit more like the original trilogy. And then with part three, we will almost be there. And his lo- he had a logic to it. I don't agree with. No, I, but he I was think trying it was a horrible say, decision. He was trying to say that, let's have some fun here. We will, uh, we will very carefully and, and uh, you know, uh, what would you just say? Um, I want to say mechanically get to the point where it will feel like a natural transition from part three into part four. 
And, and that's what Luke, uh, Lucas said in so many interviews. And so when he came out with a Phantom Menace, I was very forgiving. And after seeing Attack of the Clones, I just was reeling my head. Yeah, I, I, I will never be the same again. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I don't buy his whole explanation. It's just stupid. And, and he, and he yeah. one of the things that he really aggravated me with is he kept trying to retroactively change the story. Just leave the pre- uh, leave the originals alone. <laughs> you know, and and you can't even get, you know, you can't even acquire legally the original edits of the films anymore. Um, geeks know where to get them. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just craziness. And, you know, The Phantom Menace, to me, was, was just a sign. Now, now, I have to admit, when I was younger, I liked The Phantom Menace. Y- you know, who didn't, I suppose, as a, as a child or whatever, I, although I wasn't that young. But, um and I still, to some extent, while there are all three lesser films, I think Attack of the Clones had its issues, for sure, and problems. But it was a, a better film, I think, than Phantom Menace. So I think there was some hope there. And, you know, Revenge of the Sith, uh, you know. I, I guess what I don't... Uh, I don't want to get into overanalyzing. You know something that but, really bugs me about uh, Revenge of the Sith is that more critics liked it than the audience. I just don't understand that. The uh, the critics give it like an eighty percentile on Rotten Tomatoes. It's uh just wrong <laughs> because well, I mean the way that Mace Windu dies, the way that um the Emperor uh dukes it out with lightsabers with Yoda. I mean, come on. I I didn't oh. buy. You know what I what what killed it for me is I didn't buy the transition. Uh, I know you know a lot of people deride Hayden Christensen. The ending acting. is appalling. The way that, um, what's her name, Queen Amidala just, you know, goes off, you know, leaves the story the way that she did. None of it, none of it jives with the story that was told in the original trilogy about what happened. None of it works. It doesn't fit the lore. You know, there's going to be, prequels almost always have mistakes, but these, these were blatant things. You know, Amidala dies, and how, so how is Leia supposed to remember her mother and how sad she was when she died when she was an infant? You know, when she was just barely born. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, yeah. I, and I didn't buy the transformation of Anakin to Vader. I, you know, a lot of people deride Hayden Christensen's acting, and I'm not talking about that. I, I have a lot to say about that. I don't even want to talk about that. It's just that it didn't work. You know, it, he's rushing there to defend and help Mace Windu, and then all of a sudden he's bowing before the Emperor. It didn't work. You know, and I know there's lots of, in, like in the novel and stuff, they have explanations for what was going on. And you know what? I just want it to work as a film because these are first and foremost films. So, yeah, I think the, that, that Lucas just basically lost it and, and just he, he was not up to telling the story of the prequels. And so, so this all started when you asked me how I felt about Lucas not having anything to do with the coming films or very little. <laughs> and so that was my way of explanation to get here and say, I think this is a great thing. Like, it can't. It, it it could get worse, but it's not likely to get worse than what Lucas did to the prequels. Yes, yeah, see, on the upside, there there is the example of what's happening to the Marvel universe now that Disney owns Marvel and sure. they did good films like Captain America, yeah. the first Iron Man, even um, Iron Man two, but to a lesser extent. Yeah, and now the Avengers. It seems to be all on track with Joss Whedon at the helm. You got to wonder, are they going to try and beef up the Star Wars universe and these new movies in a a way that follows the pattern of the Marvel movies? And I kind of think that that's what they're going for. 
Um, Disney wants to milk this cow and wants to look uh, to, to another movie franchise as an example. Obviously, it's working out extremely well uh, over at the Marvel movies. So what are they going to do? Who are they going to put in charge of these films? Who's going to be the key director that leads it forward? And um, I had some ideas. I don't know about you, but uh, I was thinking about what director would I want to take the helm of the Star Wars universe? I think that there are so many interesting possibilities here. Um, and, And it's anyone's guess. After hearing the news that, you know, Lucasfilm is sold to Disney, it's like, well, all bets are off here. Frankly, I don't know if uh, the world will be around tomorrow (laughs) because this is (laughs) earth-shattering news here. So, I mean, who knows? We could get a no-name director, um, somebody else who, who, uh, you know, directed TV shows for the Disney Channel. You name it. I mean, I just don't know anymore. But uh, if I could have my pick, I would like a director... Uh, along the lines of maybe Brad Bird, Christopher Nolan, maybe Andrew Stanton, Mark Webb, Zack Snyder, or Peter Jackson. Not Peter Jackson. Uh, I, think I, my- I hesitate to say Peter Jackson because he's already got his magnum opus. He's yeah. already got his big deal. Two, two names that have been thrown out that I, I don't think would work. The big one right now that's going around is Joss Whedon. And, and you know, I love Joss Whedon. He's a great filmmaker, does great things. Uh, obviously, The Avengers, best movie of the year. But I, I just don't think he'd be right for Star Wars. And, and Well, see, the thing is, he is really good with ensemble stories. He is, but I don't think he'd be right for Star Wars. I just don't think it's that's the right film for him. So that that's my opinion, and and then the other name that's been going around is J.J. Abrams. I saw I think uh, uh, Gruber asked John Gruber on Twitter asked last night who people thought might be good fits, and somebody threw out J.J. Abrams, and he said no, I don't think that'd be a good fit. And then he's like, besides, once you start, once you touch Star Trek, you can't touch Star Wars, right? Can we all agree yeah, to that? Yeah, vice versa. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think that it's all hands off. You know, if you have anything to do with Star Trek, yeah. And there's probably, though, I like both franchises, and I rebel at that a little bit. There's probably some wisdom to that. Uh, so, just from stigma standpoint, so there's that. Um, I think what, what was that name? The second name you threw out. Well, there's Brad Bird. No, uh, not Brad Bird. Nolan. Christopher Nolan. I want to see what Christopher Nolan would do with with uh, Star Wars. That's a great <sighs> idea. See, here's the thing: Christopher Nolan could give us many many good films that are in the spirit of the empire strikes back i th- i really believe that but i have a hard time picturing him um selling the the overall encompassing feel of the star wars universe like uh he couldn't do a very cheerful star wars episode for a new hope style film and uh he wouldn't buy into anything like the ewoks uh, where, you know, the, there's mixed feelings about the Ewoks, but, you know, they're far cry from things like the Gungans. And Ugh. I'd much rather have um, something in the spirit of A New Hope or Return of the Jedi in addition to an excellent, an, another excellent film like The Empire Strikes Back. Well, see, that, that's, so, that's the type of Star Wars that I want, is more Empire Strikes Back. More like that, please. I don't want Ewoks. I don't want Gungans. I don't want Jar Jar. Misa think Jar Jar's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said it. <laughs> um, blackmail people, we got blackmail on TJ now on this episode. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you there. Um, the, you know, another great 
potential director is Andrew Stanton. Um, the reason I bring him up is because he obviously has a lot of interest in this kind of film and he can do one with a lot of heart that deals with some uh, dark scenarios as well as a grand journey, an epic, an ensemble story. Although I think he's rather untested since he left Pixar, except with a film like John Carter. So I hesitate to give him something as significant as a Star Wars movie. So I, I would just say I, I wish him the best. And maybe one day Andrew could prove himself to be capable of handling a movie like this. But I wouldn't give him the next film. I wouldn't give him episode seven. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing, though, too. Um, I kind of expect it to be a director we've never heard of before. That's going to hurt. That, that's going to be... Not necessarily, because, oh. okay, think about it. We, you and I knew who Joss Whedon was. We knew who he was, but did anybody else, really? And and look what he did with uh, with the Avengers. I, I, I would be happy to see some new talent and some fresh blood, as long as they did a good job. And again, you know, I don't have a lot of hope anyway. I, I, mm. I really look at this and I think, ugh. I'm going to have to go see another stupid Star Wars movie just so I can review it on Movie Bite. You know, well, so. Okay, well then here's another question for us. If characters are brought back for this new trilogy, characters like Luke, Leia, Han, uh, should they reboot with a, uh, with a whole new cast or should they really bring, try to bring back the original cast? Well, I already told you what I think. I don't want to see them recast. And if they're brought back, I want to see them at the ages they are. I want to go that far into into Star Wars' future history, whatever it is. It's it's the it's the future of Star Wars history. <laughs> uh, okay, well, and yeah, I want to see two them. things to note here, though. One, I'm not crazy about the idea, but I think that they they could pull it off if they wanted to reboot and introduce another young Luke Skywalker following up the story of Return of the Jedi, have another actor playing Luke. I think they could do it mm. as well as, as well as um, the new Star Trek film by JJ Abrams. I think that they could pull it off, but they would have to really sell us on a good script, a good director and uh, a whole new um, uh, adventure in the saga that really just pays off and makes up for the fact that there's a new cast. The other thing, too, is if if they went that direction, they would have to play homage to the old cast. I think that they would have to, uh, a few of them would have to return and play other characters. You know, um, and here's the thing. In uh, subtle ways. I, I'm not that jazzed. You mentioned the Star Trek reboot. I'm not that jazzed about it. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like the, that they did that. Uh, I would have been just as happy to have them do something completely unrelated, still set in the Star Trek universe, but go into the future or go to a different crew or just anything. But, and that's kind of what I want to see here. I'm, I'm so sick of recasting old stuff. I don't, I don't want to see that. I want new stuff. Yeah. I, and I would have to agree with you, but after all the, the cast is going to die off sooner or later and Disney will still be around and still wanting to make more star Wars movies. I kind of feel like, uh, you know, Harrison Ford has time and again already said that he has no desire to return to the role of Han Solo. I'm sure that you could get others into the picture, but I don't think Mark Hamill could give us a Luke Skywalker that we want to see no. anymore. No. Nope. And then there's the issue of things like James Earl Jones. He He's very old. If they wanted to do anything with Darth Vader, Vader's ghost, I would be sorely I'd, frustrated that uh, Darth Vader's ghost won't be Darth Vader because remember he turned back into Anakin Skywalker. So what does that mean? Do they bring in Hayden Christensen 
to play no, please the ghost just no. of Anakin no, Skywalker? No, 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 Exactly. No, so no, that's the problem no. with bringing in the other cast. You can't bring back the original cast because now you have Hayden Christensen shown as the young ghost of Anakin Skywalker pre- at the... I want to pretend that never happened. Can we pretend that I, never happened? I believe it never we, happened. Well, can we pretend that L- George Lucas never went back to the original Return of the Jedi and altered it to show Anakin Skywalker in the place of I pretend other, that all the time. Anakin Skywalker? As I said, nerds know where to get the original cuts of the film. <laughs> I pretend that all the time. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I, and, I, I will pretend it. I will pretend it. I, I don't, I, I, it's I unfortunate don't, it isn't the truth. I don't care what Lucas says. I don't care what anybody says. Han Solo shot first. But, That's just but the way the, it is. But TJ, the real question is now, did Mickey Mouse shoot first? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean uh, we have a whole new ball game here. I mean, wh- no, what's no, no. going to happen? Okay. Is, that, is the next Disney prin- princess movie going to be uh, the story of, you know, Princess Leia and Alderaan as oh, a child? come on, man. You beat me to my punchline uh, here. I was going to ask the real question is, is Princess Leia a Disney princess now? She is totally a Disney princess now, <laughs> and she's the best. I never understood why, Di- why Leia was a, a princess. What? See, I mean, that's wh- why... That's why I, I, anything you say about the Star Wars films is invalid. No, no, no. Seriously, what ma- what makes Leia a princess? You can ask that question. I'm not going to validate it with an answer. <laughs> because you don't have one? Oh, I, I have plenty. Uh, what do you mean, why is she a princess? Yeah. Because at the, in, the, in Star Wars A New Hope... It was what she lost. It's what made it matter so much. I mean, it's why the death of Alderaan mattered oh so much. Not only was it millions and millions of lives that just got, you know, blown up, but the fact that it was personal to Leia. She just saw all of her family blown to smithereens, and she was in large part responsible for it. She wasn't just one of their citizens. She was one of their royalty, and she just witnessed her home planet blown up the the royalty now it's non-existent yeah i, I, I get on that the her home planet basis, was there blown is no up, government that deems her princess i get that her whole planet was blown up and i get that her family was there but she's referred to as this princess and but they even refer to her mother and father and i didn't like it's it, because it's strange i guess what i'm saying is it seems to be inconsistent story being told like, because I've never heard her mother or father referred to as as royalty, and especially okay, th- and this gets into prequel territory. Like, uh, her mother and father weren't like royalty in that that adopted her uh, in the prequels. It didn't seem like to me. I mean, her her dad had a ship and was like a cargo carrier. <sighs> well, th- there's your problem. You're trying to make the prequels fit into the original trilogy. You're trying to take them as canon. <laughs> That's your problem. Okay. So, so see here, you were you were dissing my knowledge, and I'm just I'm 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 just saying it. The the whole thing just doesn't make sense. Well, if you're going to go there, then you're also validating the existence of Jar Jar Binks. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. See, that's why it doesn't work. You can't validate those original films. I mean, those those prequels. You just can't do it. Okay. Anyway, on any oh, oh, wavelength. Sorry, I, I, even even though I really appreciated Ewan McGregor's performance as a young Obi Wan Kenobi, I did too. I just cannot go there. Uh, you know, um, uh, oh, have you heard of, before we sign off, have you heard of Machete Order, Star Wars Machete Order? No. What is this? Okay. 
Let me let me look it up real quick. And well, I will- while you're looking it up, I wanted to mention something too to fans that they may not realize. Um, a little piece of Star Wars trivia that goes way back is that um, once upon a time, or in a galaxy near us, or something like that, Mark Hamill, when he was in the film uh, films being made. He happened to ask George Lucas, so what is your plan with this? Uh, how, is there going to be another movie? And Lucas answered him, well, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this original trilogy and I have the, have you guys. But then I'm going to stop with your story and I'm going to go back and tell these other films. I'm going to do a prequel series. And, and, and then to add to that, one of these days, I'm going to come back and make another trilogy with you guys again. And Mark Hamill said to him, Okay, so uh, when would you? When would that be? When, when might you come back and want the original cast? To which George Lucas replied, it's, "I don't know, uh, maybe around 2011-ish." <laughs> nice. So, may- so, so maybe he is thinking about them being much older. It, it kind of that that is what makes me wonder. I think that at least ways then, Lucas had in mind for a much later story in their lives. So I I don't know. Maybe there's just something here that George Lucas has been uh, keeping hidden under the mattresses for the last, oh, many, many years. Could be. Could be. All (laughs) right. So maybe that's what this is all about. Here's here's what Machete Order is. Uh, And I got to look and see what was the name of this guy that did this. Uh, Rod Hilton has suggested this. And it makes a lot of sense to me. And the next time I get ready to watch Star Wars, which I need to do now that all this news has come out, uh, I'm I'm going to do it like this. Machete order is to watch episode four, episode five, and then watch episode two and episode three, and then watch episode six. Now, did you notice something about that order? Did you, Joseph? Uh, <laughs> yeah. There is no episode one in that order. And and he writes, episodes two and three aren't exactly Shakespeare, but standing next to the utter and complete train wreck that is episode one, they sure look like it. <laughs> episode one is a failure on every possible level. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm going to link this in the show notes so that you can read it. But then he says, every character established in episode one is either killed or removed before it ends, or unimportant, or established better in a later episode. And he gives examples, like the examples that were killed were Darth Maul, Qui-Gon Jinn, Chancellor Valorum, unimportant Newt Gunray, Watto, and established later in a, better in a later episode, Mace Windu and Darth Sidious. Does it ever matter that Palpatine had an apprentice before Count Dooku? Nope. Darth Maul is killed by the end of episode one and never referenced again. You may as well start with the assumption that Dooku was the only apprentice. Does it ever matter that Obi-Wan was trained by Qui-Gon? Nope. Obi-Wan is well in the training Anakin before the start of Episode 2. Qui-Gon is completely irrelevant. <laughs> Search your feelings. You know this to be true. <laughs> um, well, I was really one. disappointed that they never fleshed out anything more to do with Qui-Gon in Episodes 2 and 3. Why did his ghost never appear? Yeah, Why yeah. did Yoda no, I hear agree. echoes from the past with Qui-Gon's voice saying, Anakin, no, for no apparent reason when he was in meditation? You know, it was it was just the lousiest way to tie in the Phantom Menace into the other two films. I agree. And so, okay, so here is uh, why why does this order work better? Uh, aside from Episode One being gone, you see Episode. Uh, okay, as he mentioned earlier in the article, it creates a lot of tension with the cliffhanger ending of Episode Five. Uh, it uses the original trilogy as a framing device for the prequel trilogy. Vader drops this huge bomb that he's Luke's father, and then we spend two movies telling and proving that he's telling the truth. 
And Star, let's see, the Star Wars experience gets to start with a film that does the best job of establishing the Star Wars universe, Episode 4, and ends with the most satisfying ending, Episode 6. It also starts the series off with the two strongest films. Uh, yes, that's true. It starts the series off with the two strongest films and allow you to n- never have either start or end your viewing experience with uh, Explitative Movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, two films of Luke's story, two films of Anakin's story, and a single film that interwines, intertwines them both together. So, there you have it. Uh, machete order. Read this whole thing. This is a good read. I recommend that you read it. It will be in the show notes. Start with episode I, four, go to episode five, then watch two, three, and six. So, that is Machete Order. Okay, now, one other thing I wanted to talk about here, one other question that's got to be plaguing all of our minds is should the new trilogy be inspired from some other uh, mythos of the Star Wars expanded universe, like the novels or the video games? Right, and now, we've, kind answer, a, we've kind of alluded ahead. to this, you know. Yeah, we have. I guess we have. The question is, should the the episode seven be based on some inspiration from George Lucas, or should it be an altogether new story that Hollywood and Disney cook up or should it be based on something that was novelized many years ago now that's something that a lot of people that are super star wars fans will realize is that there is already a novelization for parts um uh, seven eight and nine as far as the fan base of the novels in the expanded universe are concerned um so this is a difficult choice because there's a lot of us fans of the novels that really respect this trilogy. And it was written by uh, the author, uh, sci-fi author, Timothy Zahn. And uh, many years ago, before the prequels were ever written, uh, George Lucas had paid a lot of um, praise to Timothy Zahn's Star Wars trilogy. Now, have you read these novels? You mentioned your wife is a fan of them. Um, I've read one or two. It's been a long time. Okay, because I, I got into them when I was a teenager, and I did read them. A lot of my friends were big fans of the Expanded Universe. While I never really got into the Expanded Universe as a whole, I still cared about, well, where is this all going for the Rebel Alliance? Just because you blew up another Death Star doesn't mean that the Empire is dissolved. And then right. you have um, the questions like, well, did Han and Leia get married? And what's to become of the new Jedi Order? There were all these questions like, how are they going to restore the old Republic? How are they going to recreate it? And so there was plenty of opportunities there. And George Lucas may have his own ideas. But uh, here, I wanted to present to our listeners the idea as it was told by Timothy Zahn in his novel called um, uh, Heir Heir to the Empire. So this is, here's the synopsis from, from Wikipedia. And I think this will give a lot of people a better picture of where uh, Episode 7 might be leading. Uh, Timothy Zahn's story. It's a heir to the Empire as a part of the Star Wars Expanded Universe and takes place five years after the events of The Return of the Jedi. The Rebel Alliance has destroyed the Death Star, defeated Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine, and driven out the remnants of the old Imperial Starfleet to a distant corner of the galaxy. And Princess Leia and Han Solo are married and expecting twins. Luke Skywalker has become the first in a long-awaited new line of Jedi Knights. Thousands of years, uh, sorry, thousands of light years away, a Grand Admiral Thrawn, the last of the Emperor's warlords of the, um, the Empire, has taken command of the shattered Imperial fleet, readied it for war, and pointed it at the fragile heart of the New Republic. Thrawn is searching for a dark Jedi 
and is seeking to restore the empire. So there you have it. That's how it originally would have been set up with this Episode Seven installment. And many, many Star Wars fans have been rooting for this trilogy to be turned into films for many years. But I know that a lot of the fans were silenced when the prequels happened. So I, 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 along with most others, never thought in our lifetimes that another Star Wars movie would happen. But now in retrospect, it makes perfect sense. I can't believe that we didn't realize that this, was, this day would come. I feel like we just slipped into the, the, an alternate dimension or something here. Because as a Star Wars fan, I mean, just two days ago, there was no reason to believe that there would ever be more Star Wars expansions besides kids cartoons and the rumor mill had it that there was going to be a star wars live action television show but it wouldn't have so much to do with the original central characters it would have something to do with other side characters that had never been introduced and so then today we're dealing with okay disney owns lucasfilm disney owns star wars what are we to do with all this i guess for me tj uh, I just, I'm, I'm hopeful, but with fear and trepidation as well, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating what Disney might do with this. Maybe it will be along the lines of the Marvel expansion with great films like the Thor movie and Iron Man uh, series, Captain America, the Avengers. I, that's what I hope that this will be like. I hope that they can expand on the Star Wars universe in that sort of way. Um, grant you, it probably means a few good films and a few rotten eggs. So, well, that's my that's my peace of mind. Yeah, I, I'm not actually expecting much from this. I'm, I'm expecting more prequel-like stuff. Because that the prequel stuff would fit a lot better with Disney than the original trilogy. It, I think. I don't know. Because then, then I say that, and they're, you know, they're, they are expanding with Marvel stuff, so... Well, one thing that's kind of unique about Star Wars versus um, the Marvel Universe is that pretty much anyone in Hollywood has been a a huge fan of Star Wars. And so you've got all these people that grew up wanting to be filmmakers that imagined, what would it be like if I got to direct a Star Wars movie? And, And you can't say that about many other franchises. Granted, yeah. there's been huge fans of other things, but here you have a a whole industry. I mean, even Joss Whedon, that that guy probably is humble enough to say, "Wow, I really appreciate that fans are suggesting that I be like you know the lead prospect to direct this." But I bet you he would turn it down, even if it was offered to him, just because he is so busy with other films now. Yeah. So yeah. so I don't see Joss Whedon, but. He, he, I mean, there's M. Night Shyamalan. There's, there's no, I mean, no, not, not no, that I'm, no, I'm no, not at all no. recommending him. I'm not at all recommending him. No. I'm just saying that there are countless Joseph? filmmakers. Joseph, no. <laughs> I'm just saying that there are countless filmmakers that are probably chomping at the bit to do this. Even J.J. Abrams is probably kicking himself for making that other Star Trek film now that it means that he probably doesn't stand a chance to make this one. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, probably so. Who knows? Right. I don't think I would want to see a J.J. Abrams Star Wars film, though. Again, I I think Star Wars, um, it need, boy, it just needs a very certain type of person to do it. Somebody who's not George Lucas. 
and yeah. and somebody I I don't know I someone that's not Steven Spielberg either. <laughs> yeah, he's ugh. you know he kind of proved with uh, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that he wasn't up to making those types of films anymore. I think. Hmm. So anyway, we should we should wrap this up. If you got yeah. you got any more you want to say? I mean, there's lots more we could say. But <laughs> yeah, I think we could go on for days. So we'd we better could, just we cut could. it off now. <laughs> yeah, I think we should. All right. Well, Joseph, um, where will people be able to keep up with your writings and wanderings around these great big uh, internets? Yes, I am on Twitter. I'm Joseph Darnell, and Facebook. If you want to get me at Facebook, I'm just uh, just visit josephdarnell.com. You can also catch me on MovieByte. I like to write at MovieByte, read our posts, catch the latest movie news there. And if you care for more of my writings, I also write things about tech, movie culture, culture in general, design, and um, Apple culture at my other website, jivingjackalope.com. All right. And uh, I'm also on Twitter, TJ Draper Pro. I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. And, uh, I'm not even going to mention my other websites because I haven't posted on them in forever. Uh, but I'm I'm focusing all my attention on MovieByte right now. So be sure and visit MovieByte and uh, every day and share it with your friends. Rate the podcast. We'd appreciate it if you'd do that. Uh, go to iTunes and uh, give us a five-star rating. We would love that. We'd be honored if you would do that. And the other great thing that you can do is sign up for the newsletter so that you get entered into the contest ASAP. That's right. And we're, we are excited about this contest um, if you happen to go to the Movie Byte giveaway page and it's not live just yet, we're, we're probably just trying to get things uh, you know, ready. And so it will be live before the end of this week. You can be sure of that. So we're going to be running this con- contest for 30 days. So be sure and enter it. Be sure to tell your friends. And I think that's it. All right, TJ. Thanks. Have a good one. All day. right. You too. You too.